Hello and welcome back to App Philosophy Weekly, where we unwrap the tech of today. And while we're unbusy unwrapping the tech of today, Mr. Dave Zatz here is busy unwrapping everything new in the entertainment and home industry on his blog, ZatzNotFunny.com. What's up, Dave? How's it going? Everything is great. How are you doing? Pretty good. I'm good. I'm good, feeling good today. All right. Well, thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk about the, the stuff of the week and how, we, how I consume things. Well, that's what I'm going to ask you. So I'm going to start off. So you're known as kind of the entertainment and home kit guy. How much media do you think you consume daily if you were to put an hour on it? So it's definitely declining. I have a small daughter. and While I still consume a lot of media, most of it or a large percent of it now is media that she enjoys. So for me, harnessing the tech over the last 20 years, it's not necessarily about how much I watch, but how efficiently I watch by dropping things like commercials. I'm not wasting 20 minutes an hour on a TV show of commercials. So I'm probably two, three hours a day of entertainment, but efficient entertainment. Now you're a big fan of TiVo. You said it's a love-hate relationship that you have with it. Now, I used to own the TiVo, like the back in the day TiVo, the one that hooked up to your DVR and stuff. Now I understand they're doing sticks sort of something similar to the Amazon fire that you can stick in the TV and view 4k content. I watched a couple of your YouTube videos on it. What's that like? So TiVo, as everyone knows, old timers, such as yourself, they kind of kicked off the, the DVR era where you have a little more control over your, your content. And it turns out the cable companies have an effective monopoly and most folks are going to get their DVRs from there. And that portion of their retail sales has been declining massively. So they see what someone like Roku is doing and they say, we're going to do that too. So now they have a 4K streaming stick based on Android TV. But instead of stopping there, they're trying to do what they've always done and sort of aggregate that content to make some sensible recommendations to you. They're going to pull in from all the different streaming services. And it's, it's kind of appeal to some folks. It may not appeal to others. Um, it's not something I use on a daily basis, given what I cover and the things I'm interested in. I'm, I'm in tune with it. But on a day-to-day basis, I've moved on from TiVo, both for DVR and, and streaming. So that's important. So what's your day-to-day setup like? Do you have some HomePods hooked up to an Apple TV? Is it more Amazon-centric? So, so my family hates me because, you know, I'm geeky and I'm tearing it apart and rebuilding it all the time. About a year and a half ago, I said, I'm, I'm done with TiVo Classic DVR. I don't like what they're doing anymore, how they're doing it. And I'm geeky enough that I can do something different. So I'm using Channels DVR, which is basically a software app. And then I have a network tuner, HD Home Run. And that... The channels app pulls in the, the channels from the HDR home run. And then I have a little bit of storage and it's got to live somewhere. Now your yeah. channels DVR can live on a computer or a NAS. I have a shield TV. So it lives on the same device that plays it back. That's interesting. So, so it's a little overly complex. It's not for everyone, but you know, it's a small company of TV lovers. There, there's no forced ads, nothing like that. In fact, they give you the tools to cut the ads across um, all the content, whereas TiVo gives you some limited ad skipping for primetime content, but then they go back and they uh, prepend an advertisement to the beginning of your DVR show, whereas channels, it's, it's clean, fast, no ads, which again, when I started you know, messing with this stuff 20 years ago, I hate commercials. I don't got time for that. Yeah. Well, and that, like, as a dad, you said, as a father, you have less and less time to watch TV in general. The last thing you want to do is have to deal with commercials. I remember with TV, with TiVo, I was skipping through commercials, fast forward and playback, the whole DVR nonsense. So this service that you're using, tell everybody what it is again. It's called Channels DVR and there's... Channels DVR. So there's ways to slice and dice it. 
you need a tuner, or let me rephrase that. You need a television source. It could be Nick Jr. using your Comcast account could be the TV source, or it could be an HD home run with an antenna, or it could be low cast. So you got your source and then you may need some storage, which may be where the software lives. Like for me, the software, the server software lives on the NVIDIA shield and there's a USB drive attached to it, but also my playback software lives there, but also the best channels DVR client is Apple TV. So I can watch channels DVR and Apple TV streaming from the NVIDIA shield. And then you were talking about home pods and home pods aren't quite there for me. I'm more of an A guy. I, I can't say because all kinds of things are going to fire. But one interesting thing I've been doing with Apple TV is the Sonos IKEA speakers. You can use AirPlay to beam to it. And with the wireless sync, it gets pretty good. Well, I noticed you were talking about those on Twitter. IKEA has a new set of speakers that actually hide behind a, a, a painting, an easel, which is kind of cool. Yeah, it's uh, folks want speakers to blend into the background. And, and yes. their new approach is this piece of wall art. And it, it's pretty supposedly from the reviews I've read, the, the sound is good. They're about 200 bucks. The main problem I personally have is the dangling cable. So I'd have to figure out a way to punch that through the wall. And some people were saying well, there's a limited selection of art that maybe doesn't work for me or not, but I've got blank walls. So any, anything's probably an improvement. Well, again, your setup isn't for everybody. It's something that's constantly a work in progress. You're configuring it constantly, but the cord cutting rever- but the cord cutting revolution is sure upon us. I have some stats for you here today. So over from Nick G over at Tech Jury, he compiled a bunch of statistics, all from Statistica to Forbes to Press Enterprise, everything. And he came up with these. I have some cool facts for you here. It says pay TV lost over 5 million subscribers just last year, just in 2020. And nearly 30% of US consumers plan to cut the cord in 2021, nearly 30%. Yeah, it, it doesn't surprise me. Providers could have been trailblazers, but they, you know, most of them abused their monopoly s- status. They sat on their tails and they just didn't provide good customer service. So they got lapped. They could have been leading all of this. So people are tired of hidden fees. They're tired of bundles that don't make sense. They're tired of when the price changes dramatically, although we see that with some of the you know, streaming aggregators. But it doesn't surprise me. And the scary thing for those executives has to be, again, folks like my daughter. She doesn't know what a commercial is. She doesn't know what cable TV <laughs> is. She's got Netflix without commercials. She's got Hulu without commercials. She's got YouTube without commercials. So what TV is, is a, is a changing thing. But TV is video on an iPad, and it, it's not yes. coming from Comcast all the time. So we're definitely living through a revolution here. Now, the important thing is, not everybody wants to have to configure something like this every day. Everybody's looking for an all-in-one solution, something like an Apple TV or Amazon Fire TV, where they can just plug it in, run the apps that yep. they're going to run, uh, subscribe to whatever they're going to subscribe, Netflix, YouTube TV, whatever it may be. Now, are you saving money the way you're doing things right now versus if you were to go with a cable provider or even something yeah. like YouTube TV? I'm unusual because of what interests me and because of certain channels my wife must have. So we have cable through Verizon Fios, but we also have Hulu and Paramount Plus and HBO. And so I am saving no money. I'm spending an extraordinary amount of money, but I'm unusual. Most people who are truly cord cutting, they're going to be saving money. And, And like you said, folks like things simple. And that's why you see things like Pluto TV and the Roku channel taken off. It's hundreds of channels of stuff. Now, you got to be willing to sit through the commercials, but there is all kinds of stuff. Like when I'm bored, I'll flip on Pluto TV for a weather channel or for the love boat, something silly like that. On the Roku channel, there's a just a rolling stream of kids bop yes. for my daughter. So that's simple and inexpensive, and that appeals to a lot of people. It's just a lot of entertainment for not a lot of money or, or mental investment. You don't have to build something crazy like I did. Well, I think it's important to follow people like you who are constantly tinkering 
because the next best solution could be sitting right under your feet and you wouldn't even know about it. So there has to be people that are constantly picking at things, looking for the next best solution. So it's very important. I want to talk about subscription fatigue because I suffer from this as well. Mm -hmm. You were talking about your subscriptions. It seems like YouTube TV just raised their prices. They're my provider for Mm -hmm. most, if not all of my channels. I only have Philo and Paramount Plus for one Mm -hmm. or two shows. And I interchange those all the time because certain goods, because certain shows go out of season and things like that. So with these internet cable providers increasing their prices, these streaming services increasing their prices, Netflix was just in the news this week. They want to increase their prices at a separate tier for gaming, things like that. What do you think about all that? Is it worth it to be a cord cutter these days for the average consumer? Content costs money, whether you get it through a legacy cable provider or whether you're streaming it. Content is not cheap. And also the legacy people are not going to go quietly. They are going to get in on this, whether it's through all the channels Comcast owns, raising those rates or through broadband caps. So those people are going to get paid. Everyone's going to get paid. So, but you're right. There's this increasing pressure on consumers as everyone's raising their rates. And I think what's going to happen is that you're going to have people being more selective about what they watch. People aren't going to subscribe to everything like me. And I think some of the large aggregators like YouTube TV may start collapsing under their own weight. We're going to need skinnier bundles to really get people the content they want at a price that they're comfortable. That's the important thing. I I have plenty of friends that all of their entertainment comes just from YouTube and they pay for ad for YouTube and that's worth it. They can watch whatever they need to watch through there. That's, and most people are doing this, like you said, on an iPad. So that's the, the value proposition is definitely one of the top questions I get. And maybe you can explain this to the viewers and listeners that are out there. Why won't Apple make a television? So for many years, analyst Gene Munster said it was coming and then it didn't come. And I would say that Apple has enough display devices that they don't need to go down that path. There's additional complexity that they would bring to their manufacturing business. And I think the fact that they released the Apple TV app on what is effectively competing hardware shows that they don't need to do that to continue to push their mission forward, that someone's already tackled the TV or the display, or frankly, my wife and I, we watch a lot of our TV on our iPad. That is the display. So for many years, my TVs were getting bigger and bigger. And now we're just, we're watching more on on these portable devices. Maybe it's not the ideal cinematic experience, but it's comfortable and convenient, which trumps a lot. Definitely, definitely. And comfort and convenience over everything. That's one of the reasons you could say AirPods are so successful. For, for me, it's always been when it comes to Apple making a television, a standalone television monitor. It, it seems like to me, with the rise of the smart television, the margins just aren't there for Apple. They're not interested in tracking people, collecting their data. And that's why you see these Android televisions that they're increasingly getting cheaper and cheaper or should I say decreasingly, (laughs) they're decreasing in price over time because of the amount of data that these smart televisions are able to harvest from you. One of the newer televisions I just purchased, it was an Android TV television, and you couldn't even activate it without connecting to the internet network. So it could start gathering all that. Yeah, and that's- First thing I did was sign out. Yeah, and and, and that's basically where we are. When the rumors were Apple was looking at this, this shadier side of the business, didn't exist. And now Vizio, I think recently came out with their quarterly earnings or whatever. And like 40% of their revenue was behavioral information and advertising or whatever else coming through the TV versus selling the hardware itself. Yeah. It was something like, so it is a little uncomfortable and you're right. That's not Apple's business. They're not selling ads, they're not selling behavioral information. So the 
things have shifted even further where it's probably not super appealing for them. They're presumably selling their hardware at high margins. The people who want it will grab it and they'll scale up and down their supply chain as needed. And then you can still get Apple TV on, on these other devices and AirPlay 2 on these other devices. So everyone's happy. If you are content with a, an expensive Roku, you can still be in the Apple ecosystem. If you want Apple's premium hardware and are in a position to afford it, you're covered on this side as well. So they're good. Well, one of the things I like about Apple's quote unquote walled garden, that's what people call it, is most of the time things just work uh, within the ecosystem. It's not segmented. And it seems like Apple's solution to this is like you said, hey, let's add, let's enable the AirPlay protocol on smart televisions. Let's enable the Apple TV app on smart televisions. And now we're in a place where not all of these TV televisions play nicely with Apple hardware. Most of these, I can't even get my HomePod to connect or after a certain software update, the HomePods no longer connect. And that's something that's just something that would never happen if I had an Apple TV, for instance. So it kind of, if you want the Apple experience, it still guides you in the direction of purchasing an Apple TV, which I think is clever, but you may a television that has certain functionality and a year later it doesn't because of a software update. Yeah. And even so on, you know, one of our prime sets is a Vizio and the AirPlay support is inconsistent. Sometimes it is amazing. Sometimes I get something flashing on the screen that it just can't connect and do what it needs to do. So yeah, I agree with what you're saying that a lot of folks really strive for that simplicity where things play well together and, and Apple's historically very good at that. Play mentality. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, there's Apple TV is you know, about $200 where you can get a Roku or a Fire TV for 30 bucks. So it's some people are, are not in a position where they can afford it. They, they make a different decision or some people just don't see the need for it at all beyond money that Apple TV app and AirPlay 2, some of this other hardware is good enough. It gets you 80% of the way there, 70%. Yes. You won't have beautiful photos, slideshows, and this and that, but you'll get the Apple TV content and you can beam whatever you want from your phone. Yeah. Now, we do have a special segment here. It's called Get to Know the Pro. It's a series of 10 questions. We're going to ask you them. They're rapid fire questions. Most of them are yes or no. Some of them have choices. Are you ready for Get to Know the Pro? We're going to find out. We're going to find out with Mr. Dave Zatz here, guys. All right. Question number one, two of them have to go. iPhone, iPad, or AirPods? iPad. Silver, graphite, Pacific blue, or gold? You're choosing Pacific blue, blue all the way. Mouse, multi-touch screen, or a trackpad? Mouse. Favorite form of input? Mouse. Imagine a television with a mouse. I've done it. Would you rather live without Wi-Fi for a year or have an iPad mini be the only device you're allowed to use for six months? It's a cellular model. I choose Wi-Fi or iPad mini. No Wi-Fi or iPad mini. No Wi-Fi or iPad mini, but it's a cellular model. I guess I'd take the iPad. iPad. You are watching most of your TV through the iPad. Apple Music. Is it an epic win or absolute fail? Somewhere in the middle. Ooh. How about that? One Can I do that? Yeah, you could do that. You can do whatever you want to do. One has to go. Twitter or Apple TV? Apple TV. Aux cable or Bluetooth all the things? Bluetooth. Bluetooth. You're a wireless guy. I like it. Favorite 24-inch iMac color? Green, yellow, orange, red, purple, blue, or silver? Blue. Blue. Blue all the way. That's the one that's yep. in front of me blue. right now. Love it. Nice. YouTube TV or Amazon Prime, what would you recommend first? YouTube TV. YouTube TV. The best deal in tech, the 2020 iPad Air or the M1 MacBook Air? MacBook M1. Air. M1. Awesome. Thanks for playing, man. Appreciate it. Sure. Ooh. Thank you. Did I win? Do I get I some hope, prizes? I, I hope you win something. I hope our sponsors send us more tech. Um, now, I want to ask you, why did you say the M1? Because I know your iPad of choice is the Air. So... I 
at least once a year, maybe twice, I try to make the iPad into a primary device and I fail. So the iPad is like the most amazing device that I cannot use the way I want to use it. So I do have it. it. It's just phenomenal in so many ways, but my workflows are such that I can't get comfortable or I can't get things quite done. Whereas there's really no compromise on, on the MacBook Air as a productivity machine. Well, and, it, and it's funny, uh, the A14 and the iPad Air, when it comes down to performance, is just kind of a graphics anemic version of the M1. And still not bad at all, but just downclocked a little bit. Yeah, and for me, it's hard because I want to love it so much. And I just get into these corners of the iPad where I just get frustrated. So for, for things like movies and Twitter and web surfing, it's awesome. But you know, my workflows, when I go beyond that, I get a little uncomfortable. So I will almost always choose the laptop if I have to choose. That's an important topic because it gives way to the next thing we're going to talk about, which is Microsoft bringing Windows to the iPad and the Mac in the form of a progressive web app. So you can theoretically run Windows, the OS, through something like Safari. Now, what kind of possibilities does that open up for you and your workflow or the way you consume your content? So for me, when Apple went with largely moved most of my computing to the Microsoft Surface Pro. And I just recently am moving everything back to a Mac. To I have a Mac mini in front of me here. And it's been several years since it was my full-time machine. And, and there's definitely things I'm missing. So for a virtualized Windows to work for me, it'd have to be like parallels, but in reverse, where... Yeah. I don't want to run all of Windows, but if you can give me two or three Windows apps through this virtualized browser or on, on the iPad, that would be amazing. So do you find yourself switching between both ecosystems for your needs, Windows and Mac? So I'm always using both. The question is what's primary and, and the butterfly keyboard really just, I write a lot. I type a lot and that keyboard really became a deal breaker for me. I moved more to the other side. So I'm always living across platform, but now I'm making Mac primary again and I'm trying to find the right apps for the right scenarios. And there's one or two I haven't quite found yet. So if I could get some of that in a browser through Windows 11, that could be pretty useful. The question is, how much is it going to cost now? Yeah, that's always the bottom line, right? It's funny that you, you talk about the butterfly keyboards and how much of a deal breaker that was. I was in a place where I, I owned a 2016 MacBook Pro where they, they made that shift to the butterfly keyboard. And the lack of travel, was, it was just unbearable to me at times. It felt like I was tapping on an iPad screen. It's like, well, if I wanted to use a touch keyboard anyway, I'd move to the iPad. I wanted a keyboard. And famously... We had people at the Oscars shine into the mic, Apple, fix your dang keyboard. That was in the headlines too. Some of the people in the Writers Guild were saying that. So it's really, it was a huge problem and it took forever for Apple to admit that something was wrong. There was failures, certain keys, the A key famously was failing because debris would get stuck under there. That was a deal breaker for so many different people. And when the Magic Keyboard for iPad Pro came along last year, I, that was one of the best keyboards Apple's made in years. Mm-hmm. With and it's all it took was a millimeter, not a half a millimeter, a millimeter yep. key travel, and it felt worlds better. Yeah, and then that was what was kind of part of the frustration for me. I'm like the even before that, just the the regular simple iPad keyboard cover accessory. I'm like, why is this better than? The, the keyboard on my $2,500 laptop, it, it was just kind of mind-boggling. Totally frustrating, yeah. And the Surface keyboard isn't necessarily a great keyboard either, but it was a better keyboard in the sort of form factor that I needed at the time. So, but yeah, I'm always, like I said, I build things up, I tear them down. I'm, I'm always in motion, which is probably demanding again to my family. But yeah, so I, I got a hand and foot in, in just about everything. That's, I think that's a healthy thing. Explore your options. 
And you always have the right tool in your toolbox for whatever workflow. But shifting things back to entertainment, I want to talk a little bit about Apple TV+. Plus. Now, the film studio behind Lee Isaac Chung's Minari, which was nominated for a bunch of awards, and some Apple TV hits such as Boy State and Sofia Coppola's On the Rocks, the film studio A24, Apple may be interested in purchasing them. They may be acquiring A24 film studios. Now, what do you think about that? Do you think Apple's going to start building a backlog of content? Or do you think their ego is preventing them from doing that? They want to produce their own original stuff. So there's been a few of these rumors going around of studios or production houses they may acquire. And in a more meta sense, beyond the, the specifics of any one studio, I think it just shows, again, these are rumors at, at the moment, but if they pan out, it shows that they're really committed to the space. When they first came out, I'm like, half a dozen shows, that's not really a service. You can't sustain that. And obviously, yeah. like you said, they haven't really chosen to to build up a catalog, whether they're, they're licensing other people's stuff for this or that, just going with some originals. So if these rumors start to pan out, I just think it shows that they're this is more than a passing interest that they're really, you know, serious about doing this. And yes. And frankly, even in the small scale way they've started, they've been critical acclaim, award nominations. I've watched shows that I've enjoyed where at first I was like kind of poo-pooing the whole thing, but they're doing good stuff. And it seems like they could be accelerating this initiative. Now, you said you had a couple home pods in your house. Do you, or are they minis or are they the biggies? How many do you have? I had one mini at one point, the, the Maxi or the Pro or whatever you want to call yeah. it. I just, I, I bristled at the, the price of it. Some of my friends have it. it. It's an amazing thing. It's just more than I care to spend. My yeah. main challenge with the home pod line is other music services. You asked about Apple music before. Yes. And that's not my primary music service. So I stream a lot of Sirius XM and with HomePod, I really can't call up a channel by voice the way I can with a, and then also as a YouTube subscriber, because I don't want to burden my daughter with those commercials. I get YouTube music kind of bundled in for free. So I've tried to make that into one of my primary sources. So I, I feel like the HomePod and Siri need to get a little more flexible with third-party services, and then I'd be more comfortable. A lot Believe- of the, the primary thing you do with a speaker is listen to music. And yeah. if I'm not using Apple Music, it's kind of not really meeting all my needs. That's a very important claim there. You know, we've seen Apple expand the capability of the HomePod to work with things like Amazon Music, but full integration with things like Sirius XM, for example, is just not there. It has limited skill abilities when it comes to things like Pandora, but it doesn't fit those niche use cases for other third-party services you may be using. And maybe with all this antitrust stuff going on in the media, in court, should I say, maybe Apple will start making some changes there. Yeah. like you said earlier, one of Apple's you know, big selling points is making things easy and, and gluing all their things together. And one of the things that could push me in that direction is a stereo pair with an Apple TV is a, is a pretty compelling solution. So I'm hopeful that they can latch on to a few more of these things and, and bring me into the fold. Because like we were talking about with the TVs, that they're kind of infested with data mining. A, I can't, I still can't say it. A lot of that's going on. I, I have everything disabled and I'm still being upsold on various things. There's just occasionally creepy things going on. Maybe sidewalks creepy, maybe it's not. Whereas yeah. Apple's not interested in any of that. So if they could just flesh out the HomePod a bit more, I'd, I'd love to just move over if and when I could. So, so is that because privacy is a concern for you? You'd love to move over? To the uh, Apple ecosystem, if those things were working, so I will definitely take more privacy. But the thing that gets me with A is the constant upsell. I've I've got it all turned off, and it's still, hey, do you want to check out a costume for sale? Blah blah. What? Yeah. No, I don't want a costume. So 
A does so many things amazingly well. It's really been great glue in the smart home. It does things differently than HomeKit, not necessarily better, just differently. And I've I've done pretty good with it. But if Apple took Siri to the next level and got some more third-party interactions equivalent to A skills or something, I would definitely want to move over just to avoid the upsell. And there is more privacy, uh, although it's just the same way I don't like commercials on TV. I, I don't want my speaker trying to sell me something. No, I don't want Prime Music. Once a week, yes. hey, I, I, we could play that if you subscribe to Prime Music. Do you want to start a trial? No, I don't want to start a trial. And now, exactly. I, you know, I have tons of uh, A devices all over the house, Amazon devices, little smart mm-hmm. speakers. Again, we can't say our name. And they're great. They're great for things that the that Siri can't do, like keep track of context when I'm asking for things like directions or how late a place is open or something like that. Setting multiple timers took forever for Apple to get a simple feature like that on Siri. And so I love those devices, but it always seems like there's some ad or some sale going on in, yeah. in my own home. It kind of feels invasive. Yes. I'm asking for, you know, I'm asking her to set a timer and she's all, well, while you're at it, setting the timer, would you like some apple pie recipes? And it's literally that out of context. Yeah. And that's what, it, when I got the pitch for some kind of costume, I was asking about the weather. What I don't need a costume because it's going to be warm or cool or whatever it was or hail. I have no idea, but I don't need a costume. It's totally so, out of context. Yeah. And also, so the way the home pod fits in with, with home kit on the hardware device stuff, I, I would benefit from the extra privacy, like the secure video interests me. The fact that I, I find the interface of the HomeKit secure video a, a little minimalist, too minimalist at this point. But the fact that all that video is encrypted and going into my iCloud and there's no extra subscription, yes. no extra anything. I mean, that that is appealing, but I have so much over in that it, it's hard to, to move it over without, I need my music too. I, I want all of it. Then the all very important concerns. And it, it really just, when it comes to the home, so many things are so segmented. Do you think the matter protocol is going to solve? So if, if you believe the sales pitch and we give it nine, 12 months, I think things are going to be better. Solving it, I don't know, but I, I think we're going to be better. And the, the rumor is that matter devices will be able to interoperate with HomeKit without being certified by Apple, that there's just going to be less friction. But Matter and Chip and all that, it, they've got some work to do as well. It's in its infancy with these edge routers and this and that. My, my Eero's got some thread, but isn't quite a hub thread. And so optimistically, nine months, realistically, we're probably looking at 18 months to get to a better place. I think it's yes. going to ease things. And I think you're going to buy your little leak detector and you're going to use it with, with whatever hub that you prefer. If that's through HomeKit, great. If it's through your Eero, who's doing it too, great. Uh, so I think we're starting to converge in the right direction, but it's going to take time. People got to execute. And all these people are, are trying to make money and sometimes limiting access is, is part of the business model, but I'm feeling hopeful. Is, I'm hopeful as well. I'm hoping that all these things will integrate, will integrate perfectly in a perfect world. When it comes to things like Matter, we had Scott Beck on the show last week. He's CTO of Abode Home Security Systems, and he was talking about HomeKit and the Matter protocol and how this is all going to play out. And he says, you know, keep in mind, this is not the golden key. This is not the all-in-one solution. So all this segmentation we may have, having Amazon devices, Google devices, Apple home devices in our home. This isn't the all-in-one solution, like you said. And I think you said it best, Dave. It's about reducing the friction. So you could you know, have a couple commands that do work on a home kit and could tell your ring doorbell to do something. You don't need... I was in a place where I needed to buy an, an Amazon Echo Shell 
because I bought a ring doorbell and it didn't work with HomeKit and the rest of my house is HomeKit. So that's kind of how Amazon made its way into my space was because I bought a ring doorbell, didn't know it wasn't going to work with HomeKit, didn't check. It was just yeah. a great deal. So I snagged it. So you can bridge it if you want, but again, you, it's effortful and geeky and it's going to break periodically. Yeah. So I did that. So with my garage door opener, it's not native to Alexa or HomeKit, but I bridge it to HomeKit. And for a week, it was amazing. Then yeah. the developer would update, it would break. Then the volunteer developer over here would fix it and it would work for another week and then it'd break again. So we got to go back to how can we get these things to interoperate without hacky stuff and to allow people to break through those walled gardens and, and be on whatever they they want to be on for whichever part of their smartphone. I don't think it's going to be all this. I think it's just going to be mix and match. And I think the matter will get us closer to to doing that a little less painfully. Now, have you heard about these HomePod 15 betas, HomeOS 15 betas that are making their way onto these HomePods? Pods are experiencing logic board failure. Like Apple's inadvertently canceling their own product that is no longer on sale. Well, hopefully they'll make it right. Apple's usually pretty good about doing what if the hardware still exists. Unless it's a butterfly keyboard. Right. Yes. That was way too long to correct. For, for breaking hardware, I think if they have the inventory, they get it replaced. Obviously, it, it's a much-loved product that is no longer being manufactured, which is somewhat of a conundrum. There yeah. are people out there I know still hunting them down because they are so amazing and supply is constricted. Yes. Just to kind of give people the history. So a couple months ago, Apple decided... We're going to stop manufacturing the big HomePod, the OG HomePod, and they said they're available while supplies last. Fast forward to after WWDC, there's a new HomeOS. That's just what we've dubbed it. There's no official name. A HomeOS 15 update for the HomePod. Now, this is supposed to be for enterprise testing for companies that are making HomeKit accessories uh, that are trying to get certified. They're going to test their HomeKit accessories on the HomePod OS beta. HomePod OS 15. So this is not a consumer beta. There's no public beta out. There's not even a program for develop just the regular developer to get their hands on this. But of course, people find a way to obtain the profile. They're installing it on their big OG HomePods and the logic boards start failing. They're powering off. They're not listening to commands. They have a spinning red light of death on the top. So people are kind of Asking the question, like, is Apple trying to phase out its own product that it no longer manufactures? It's kind of creepy. Yeah, but it's for the folks who haven't gone down this path, it's a good learning opportunity. Yes. Don't install this stuff. I've got test devices, and that's usually where the beta software goes. Yeah. Like, even the public beta, nothing's more important than my phone. And I'm not even ready to put the public beta on my phone. That, that thing's got to work. I'm not, I don't want any app incompatibilities, this or that, but downloading these profiles to get these software, it, these folks are learning the hard way that you can brick your stuff. I don't think Apple's obviously doing it on purpose. Hopefully they'll help them in some way, but yeah, you got to be very cautious with unreleased software, how, and when you apply that. That's very true. I'm testing iOS 15 and watchOS 8 right now, but I'm not testing anything on my iPad. My iPad's my the primary device that I use for work and productivity. So I just can't afford for certain apps to all of a sudden not be working, uh, certain incompatibility issues. I couldn't deal with that. I would lose money over that. And so it's really important. Don't go full steam on, on, on iOS betas. Yeah. Or betas of any kind of pre-release software. Now, I want to talk about Apple's new MagSafe battery pack. Did you see this? Did you see this on Tuesday? It's kind of cool. Yeah. So Apple's, there's third-party accessories that yeah. bring the same thing, and it's, I guess, a little bit of a slower charging. And it, it's cool. It's 100 bucks. It pops on. It pops off. The thing that I always come back to, and I used to have that, that weird hump case to go, but just like, if Apple could just make the iPhone a tad bit thicker, let's skip all this. 
making it a little thicker isn't going to really mess up the feel in your hand or the weight, but we're going to get a little more battery life and then we can skip some of these things. So technologically, it's a marvel. You've got a magnetic battery pack just hitching a ride on, on, on your phone, which is mm-hmm. cool. But I wish I just had a slightly thicker phone with more battery and then I can skip dragging around my anchor battery pack or going down this path. It, it seems like every year, phones, not seems like it, they were, every year up until the 12, between the, let's say, okay, let's break this down. Between, what would I say, the 6S and the 11, between iPhone 6S and iPhone 11 and 11 Pro, seems like those lines were, were all trending towards, let's make it thicker, let's put a bigger battery. And then all of a sudden yeah. the 12 came out and it's like a 6.7 inch screen on a phone feels like a behemoth. And then they started making it thinner again. It's thinner than iPhone 5. Yeah. I So like the pinnacle of battery life might be the 11. We'll see what happens here in 60 days or however long, but yeah, battery life is the most important thing when it Mm -hmm. comes to these phones and you can achieve better battery life through your engineering or this or that, but sometimes you just need a bigger battery too. It's not just the processor or or, or the refresh rate of the screen. I, I would prefer a slightly thicker phone if it means I can skip the the battery pack, no matter how clever it is. And it is clever that you can just slap it on and Using, throw yeah. it to the side. Yeah. It's important when you talk about trade-offs, making the phone thicker, do you think that that's something the average consumer would go for? Because you have to keep in mind, we're geeks. We don't, which is, to us, it's like, oh, make it thicker. I don't mind holding it. Who cares how pretty it looks? Me and you are like, just make it thicker. It's fine. Do you think the average consumer would be for that? So I I, I think they wouldn't, I think the average consumer, if it's just marginally thicker, wouldn't know, wouldn't care. But, you know, Apple might know, and that may be why they're going down this path. Yeah. They certainly have some expertise in in the market, what folks want. Yeah, it's hard to say. I think back to form factors from 10, 15 years ago, I've had phones that are probably three times as, as thick as the phone I have now. So yeah. I'm starting from a different place than some folks with, with making your point that we may not be the average Joe when it comes to all kinds of tech things. And I think that's really important to kind of put those things in into perspective because for us, it really is so simple. It's like, just make a thicker iPhone. Imagine, uh, I know it wouldn't be this big, but I imagine if they shipped iPhones with the hump on the back like that, solid state, nobody would want one of those like a whale. Yeah. little yeah, whale. It, it's funny though, as you think about the evolution of phones, we used to have a lot of different phones. Now we've kind yeah. of standardized on this skinny slab. Like when you think about the, the Palm Pre, which was kind of this curved thing and the original Moto, whatever it was that was curved and fit in your mm-hmm. hand. So now we've kind of standardized. There's obviously a couple of folding phones out there, but we've kind of standardized on this super the slim slab, design. slab. And yeah, there is a thickness where it no longer makes sense probably for people or isn't attractive. And the physical beauty of it's going to matter and the comfort's going to matter. So yeah, I may not be a representative. I can own that. Me too. I, I could say that I probably most likely use my phone more than the average person does, especially with my business, just day to day. It's more than a few hours on my phone every day. And I have the iPhone 12 Pro Max and I did pick up the battery case. I'm going to preface it with that, but mainly for a luxury, just so the battery isn't something I have to worry about. Maybe I don't have to worry about where I'm going to charge it. Maybe if I yeah. go to a hotel and I stay and I don't even bring the charger because I have one of these. And that's kind of why I bought it as a luxury, just to that's extend your, the battery life well, more than a luxury, even more. It's your insurance policy, it sounds yeah. like. So it's an, yeah, it's an insurance thing. And I think that's important to, to look at it from that perspective is for me, in my use case, I know I use it more than the average person and the battery life that it has standalone without a battery pack is more than good enough 
from my perspective earlier this week, I purchased one of those, like you said, just to extend it just as insurance. So what if I charger, but the right. battery life alone is never done me wrong. I end the day with somewhere between 40 to 30% usually. That's pretty awesome. So yeah. I'm not max and, and I'm constantly in the red and my battery health is diving. So I'm, you know, looking forward to 60 days from now, but so, so the cool thing about this battery pack, so obviously in an ideal world, I don't want a battery pack, but if you're going to have a battery pack, just one that snaps on for me, I got to take out my battery pack, which is an anchor. It, it's not going to charge with a lightning cable. I need a separate cable. And then I got to have a cable from the battery pack, the phone. It's not that seamless Apple experience that this magnetic thing is going to, going to give you. So it's it, super clever. And if you're going to do a battery pack, definitely, this is the way to do it. And you slide it off when you're done, throw it in your pocket or your bag or wherever. So now I got to find a put, place to put my wallet though, Dave. <laughs> your battery, <laughs> your magnetic uh, wallet. They should make them infinitely stackable. Keep a little sandwich in my path, yeah. my pocket. Well, with iOS 15, now you're going to be able to put your IDs and more things in your Apple yep. wallet. And maybe one day we, we won't need a wallet. Although you're definitely going to need to always have a charge battery at that point. It's funny when a charger becomes more important than your wallet, huh? That's something that you'll find on the Reddit thread for uh, Futurology. Now, I want to talk about Kevin Lynch for a moment. Now, he is one of the chief execs uh, behind Apple Watch. He's the, Apple's VP of technology. He's also at the chief operating officer for Jeff Williams's health staff that chiefly deals with the Apple watch. Now he's kind of been uh, reassigned within Apple to a new project Titan. That is, and if you're not familiar with that Apple car project, what do you think about this? Do you think Apple watch innovation is going to stagnate a little bit because. No, I, I don't think it'll stagnate. I think Apple's a big company with a lot of impressive personnel, people, come, go, move where they're needed. I think it says more about that they want to move the car project forward than about Apple Watch stagnating. Again, if we take the butterfly keyboard out of it and the weird puck mouse, <laughs> Apple's going to mostly do the right thing with, with the right people. It's an interesting footnote that they're shifting from one thing that seemingly has nothing to do with something else, but obviously uh, implies he's but it implies highly he valued and trusted to take on something of this magnitude that his work over here was what they were looking for and they want to apply similar. Well, and you can tell that they trust him as far as knowing when and how to ask the right questions when it comes to entirely new product categories for Apple. He really is oftentimes called the father of the Apple Watch. He oversaw the entire development process. And he was the guy that, that, that really said, there is a thousand no's for every yes on this one thing. How are we going to show the time? How are we going to deal with complications? How are we going to regulate apps and different things? He knew how to ask a lot of the right questions. Well, and also, and, and not only that, but you know, over the years, they've shown with the watch that they start with an idea. It maybe isn't exactly what they think it is. And then they kind of move it down this health route. So just the fact that they were able to put it out there and then just kind of navigate as we, the consumers learn with them, what is this thing for? So it's not just the, those initial questions at the beginning, but the ongoing question, it's a new product category. What can we do here? What should we do here? What do people value? And certainly there's a lot of new and innovative stuff going on in cars. Cars have been around for over a hundred years, but suddenly there's this uh, explosion of, of innovation and we don't know exactly where we want to be. Do you want a 12 inch screen like this or do you want it like this? Or maybe not at all. And not only being able to make some initial assumptions, but to just gracefully shift as you go, I think is valuable. It's interesting. The team that Apple's putting together for the project Titan, 
aka the worst kept secret in Silicon Valley, the Apple car. They have John G. Andrea overseeing the entire operation. Now he's an AI engineer, ex-AI engineer that Apple poached from Google. Previously, before Lynch joined the team just today, Johnny Ive, before his departure, he was overseeing the design of the vehicle, according to some internal reports. So they definitely have an interesting team. Now their VP of technology, Kevin Lynch, is on board. So will machine learning be a huge theme with this car when it comes to things like self-driving? We can make a lot of inferences based on this team that Apple's putting together. It's curious, and especially over the last few years of rumors, it's like they're doing it, they're not doing it, they're just yes. software. But given some of these moves, it obviously seems like we're shifting into gear. That, that's a good one for this. <laughs> that's like, a, I like really that. Really moving forward. And again, what can you do with machine learning? And can Apple, who designs their own silicon, do something different than, say, Tesla. Obviously, Tesla has been doing this a long time and yeah. has certain ideas and, and skills. It's very fascinating. Well, we've heard things in the media about Tim Cook turning down meetings with Elon Musk. If you remember those headlines, he didn't even want to meet with Mr. Musk. Do you think this is going to be one of those things, just like the Apple television, that will fizzle out, that Apple will ultimately say, you know what, we've looked into everything, it's just not our business? Manufacturing a big mechanical thing is a very different sort of thing than they've historically done. I don't know what their intent is or where they'll land. Obviously, they've got lots of unique skills. They've got unlimited funds to explore anything they want. So it's fascinating when folks were talking about it as a software-only play and they'd have a hardware you know, manufacturer like a Volkswagen or a Hyundai or somebody. I was like, okay, I can see some synergies there. They're going to bring their skill set and work collaboratively with the, with the an auto manufacturer. And I, I think something like that could work. I think if Apple suddenly said we're going to build cars, sheet metal and all, the way Tesla builds cars, that would be a stretch for me. I'm not saying they can't do it or they shouldn't do it. It would just it's very different than building a watch or building a computer. Yeah. It's interesting to see a computer company try to approach this. And again, Apple's more of a service services centric company today and less of a computer company. When you talk about knowing when to ask the right questions, needing someone on the team with experience, Bloomberg reported last month that Apple hired Ulrich Kranz, from BMW to join the Apple car team. So he's on the team as well. He brings over 30 years of experience over at BMW. And he was a SVP of the team that developed the BMW i3, the EVs. And after he departed BMW, he actually spent three months at Faraday Future. And that's where he combated the self-driving electric car. I think you've heard of it, the canoe. And they still have yet to launch uh, their vehicles. So they definitely have some people with experience under their belt that are going to know when to ask the right questions when it comes to something. Because the car, like you said, is a completely different market than a personal computer. It's it, The scope of this is probably so much larger than even Apple thought it would be. Yeah. Yeah. Totally different supply chain and, and manufacturing processes. It's uh, very different and very broad. Yes. But like you said, they're assembling... The, the people with the knowledge and whatever they want to do, those people are going to say, we're going to do it this way to maximize our skills and minimize our risk. It, it's interesting though, to just, they're a big, rich company. They can do anything. So it, it's really cool to see them looking at this stuff, sort of like Tesla came out of nowhere. They didn't exist. And now they're kind of, they define what the modern EV is. So it's pretty cool to see. Hopefully we will. They, they keep Hopefully moving. In the future. And it, yeah. And it's something compelling. You could see yourself riding around an Apple car one day. If a different manufacturer built it and it's running Apple software, I could. If they say we're starting our own manufacturing line outside of Detroit, I'd be like, I'm going to wait till third gen. Yeah. 
watch it be phased out like the original home. Well, so it wouldn't surprise me if HomePod big, maxi, whatever comes back. I think HomePod mini has been a big success. I think getting that thread radio in there opens doors as we move to matter. So I, I think they may have been a little premature and it wouldn't surprise me if it comes back in a very similar The big form. HomePod was definitely ahead of its time and it's more geared towards the audio files. It's more audio centric than it is services centric. And I think that was the lack of service integration was, you know, too little too late with when you look at how much uh, Amazon was already consuming the market with their hardware. But also so that I agree with that, but also I think being able to invest a smaller sum of 99 and say, wow, this is awesome. Now I want a bigger, better one. It's kind of the intro as you're going to flesh out your house. But like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if it, if it comes back. I hope so. I'm crossing my fingers, though I still love my existing OG HomePod. Now it's time for this week in What the Tech. David, you heard about this one, the whole debacle with the uh, iOS weather app? I have. And the 16-year-old the in me finds it pretty amusing. <laughs> How Apple will not display... 69 degrees on the weather app. It's kind of a joke, ongoing joke. Chris Gartenberg over from The Verge was the first one to report on this. And he was saying, hey guys, take a look at this. It will not display display 69. It'll always round up to 70 degrees. Now, Apple has always uh, been known as... Will is correcting me here in the comments. Will, how do I pronounce that? I'm sorry I said Chris. I don't like to do injustice to people's names. Okay. Okay. Now, now came Gartenberg over at the verge was the first one to report on this. Now he was showing that the default weather app on iOS will always round up from 69. That is, it will not display 69 degrees on the screen. Like you said, the 16 year old and you finds this kind of funny. Apple's always been considered somewhat of a, a prude. Obviously, that's not the case with Apple TV Plus. But if you look at back in the day, Steve Jobs was very adamant about no porn on the App Store and no adult content on iBooks and things like that. It was very regulated. Apple does not like mature content. And so this was kind of interesting to see in the news. But it turns out people broke this down. In fact, Mark Andre on Twitter was the first one to start breaking this down. He said, this is most likely a rounding error. So if you're going from Celsius to Fahrenheit, for example, 20 degrees Celsius is 68 degrees Fahrenheit. 21 degrees Celsius is 69.8 degrees Fahrenheit, aka just 70 degrees if you run up. So theoretically, the same thing should happen at 65, 67, 71, 74, et cetera, for example. MKBHD got in on the action. He posted a, a video sort of mocking this. But sometimes it's just an integer math conversion glitch. And that was summed up by John Gruber over on his Daring Fireball blog. What do you think about this, Dave? It's, well, it, it, it's a funny observation that someone made. And then it's, it's slow news in tech today, these days. Um, but it, it almost holds up a little. Everything, like you said, should round one way or the other. And it seemed like on certain. OSs, maybe it was always rounding away. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what to think. Like I, I said, the 16-year-old and me got a good chuckle out of it. And obviously that's why they went with the story. I haven't tried to reproduce it yet. And maybe reproduce is the wrong word given the topic, but <laughs> I, it, it's funny. It's weird. And it is entertaining. Yeah. And it does seem exclusive to iOS 14 and not the most recent, but the last iOS 15 beta 2. So it, the bug is not present on iOS 13, only yeah, iOS and, 14. And we do know things are in flux since they acquired Dark Sky. Yeah. So while it is weird and unusual, perhaps all the, the ongoing integration of that team and those presentations of weather somehow got mucked up but when we're done here i'm gonna i'm gonna try to find some city in the u.s and that's hovering around that temperature and see what i can do well 
It's funny you say that because as they've begun to converge dark sky and the default weather app, as you mentioned, I've been getting some wacky notifications on here. I'm talking, it's 100, 102 degrees outside and it says drizzle will stop in five minutes or grab your raincoat, it's raining. So this weather app is in total disarray. It looks pretty, but the weather forecast just isn't there. There's something going on and it could be just a beta thing. Yeah, so I, my wife is very particular about the temperature. So yeah. we, we have multiple weather apps here and I, I use, like on my Apple Watch, I have Apple weather but I still use the, the, the legacy Dark Sky app on my phone as my primary. Although I also have AccuWeather and I'm in the DC area and AccuWeather always thinks I'm at my favorite vacation spot in central Florida. And I'm getting crazy alerts from Florida every day, even though I'm not in Florida. Yeah. Whenever there's tornado warning or thunderstorm. So they're all a little funny and they all have different data. Like those three apps will each have a different temperature. And maybe none of them are 69. I don't know. And that's the thing, just between betas and public releases, I'll turn to my dad and say, what's the temperature on your phone? He'll say, oh, it's two degrees higher than what's your, what yours says. My dad likes to call it Steve Jobs weather, instead of Apple weather, or the weather channel is actually where they get it. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's funny. And then you know, some people are doing this hyper-local thing, they'll put little stations outside. And I'm like, man, I got enough variability and I just... I'm going to stick with the major apps and maybe we'll come up with some automation to, to average the, the sources. Well, what Darkstar was doing, and, and I think they were still doing it toward the end, is kind of crowdsourcing weather a little bit. You could report that it was raining, but all you need is a, six, a silly six, 16-year-old that thinks 69 is funny yeah. to mess up the weather, yeah. <laughs> reporting the weather. Well, Dave, thank you so much for joining us. You want to let the people know where they can find you on social media? Yeah. So these days I'm most active on Twitter. It's just Dave Zatz at Twitter. And and you can find me over on Twitter at Bromshank. That's at B-R-A-H-M-S-H-A-N-K. At Bromshank over on Twitter. Come say hi. Same name for the Instagram too. Come say hi over there. Hop into my DMs. We might feature you on the show if you ask a silly question. Thank you guys so much for joining us for this week's episode of Appleosophy Weekly. Stay tuned for next week.